This is episode 47 of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with John Sampson. So a tagline that I'm working on is a bridge between private practice and public service. You know, you have a kid that comes in here and makes a gorgeous song about vulnerability and loneliness and how hard it is to make friends. And then they get permission to share that song. And then other kids who are struggling with those issues hear that and they're like, wow, I didn't know that it was even okay to say these things. And next thing you know, they want to make their own song. And because they felt safe by hearing their, that song, they've now made a song that's even deeper. And then it just creates this domino effect where everyone feels safe expressing themselves uniquely. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. Today we have my interview with John Sampson, who is a name you may recognize because he is a recent Grammy winner uh, for his album, Songs for the Child Archetype, which features a lot of his improvised and um, created works with his clients. So in this episode, we dive into his process for creating these pieces, why it's so important to allow space for kids to express themselves through music, and talk about the deep issues that we adults sometimes ignore or don't take the time to recognize. We also talk about his vision for the future and how he wants to impact other therapies, provide resources for them to use more expressive arts therapy techniques, and just some other stuff about systematic change (laughs) and deep conversation. If you're enjoying the podcast, please let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or on Facebook. You can also support the podcast by becoming a patron on patreon.com. That link is always in the show notes, and patrons have the exclusive opportunity of asking guest questions. And please listen to the end of the episode to hear about a poll that's currently running for how we're going to celebrate 50 episodes of the Music Therapy Chronicles. So without further ado, let's get into this episode with John. John, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for making the time to be on the show. How are you feeling? I'm feeling well. How about yourself? Good. I think I saw recently, I don't know if you've already done the interview or are planning it, but you're also going to be on the Creative Therapy Umbrella. Is that correct? Yes. Awesome. Um, Another great show for the listeners. Kate is wonderful. Really fun speaking with her. Yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing the show. 
So to get us started, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe even outside of music therapy? Sure. Um, well, I grew up in South Africa. Um, so I was born in 1980 and uh, moved to the States in 1994. I did high school in Westchester County. And uh, I went to SUNY Purchase, best four years of my life, where I studied music composition, and that dovetailed right into NYU music therapy. And pretty much while I was training, um, this concept of co-creation um, really came to the forefront, um, partially through co-creation being a buzzword in the field of consciousness, um, especially for me as taught by Carolyn Mace in her audio program, Advanced Energy Anatomy. And so that just sort of brainchilded, can that be a verb? <laughs> and it incepted my, my brand, co-creative music, my business. And so I actually wrote my thesis on the co-creative relationship between client and therapist. Um, it was for me, nothing short of mystical, uh, this kid that I worked with, uh, when I was interning at Jacoby medical, he improvised his improvised songs served as a blueprint for me for my entire career you know it was really so and I was just still learning how to play the guitar at that point so I only had a few chords under my belt and it just put me in slow motion and it just made me realize that if a kid has the space to make up a song that there's practically no limit to how deep and dark and beautiful and truthful and powerful um, the singing can be. And so it really gave me this model of how to hold space for kids. And so I've been doing that ever since. I mean, the, the crux of my work in co-creative music uh, is producing thousands of improvised songs with kids. I don't have an exact number, but it is in the thousands. And, um, you know, so that's one main component of my work. Um, I'll tell you a little bit more about me before really getting into music therapy. I had a very thick interest in spirituality, still do. I studied Reiki. I have a, uh, a mentor who I've been working with for the better part of two decades uh, by the name of Jenny Maclis. She's a Reiki master, an MSW, an intuitive counselor, one of the most grounded people you'll ever meet. Um, so she's really... She's been with me since I was an angsty uh, college student at Purchase. Um, and, you know, I also had worked with Benedicta Skybe for many, many years. She was my primary music therapy mentor. I started working with her while I was still, a, before I went to NYU. Have you ever met Benedicta? I have not. Huh. She, she really is, you know, is a legend. Um, so impeccable with her, her approach, her words, her clarity. I mean, it was just for years and years after graduating from NYU, I would pay out of pocket and we would listen to the recordings I'd make with the kids and we would look at it through an analytic music therapy perspective and just from a parallel process perspective, counter-transference and just you know, the full array of, you know, what you can do in supervision. So it was, I took her, her death very hard, but, um, you know, I actually dedicated my album to Benedicta. Um, and, you know, I 
cannot say enough about how much support and wisdom I received over the years from her. Yeah. What so a, yeah. What a beautiful way to carry on her legacy with all the work you're doing. Yeah. Hmm. So um, your website, I, I'm going to give a quote here. You say you offer a unique combination of music therapy, audio video production, artistic mentoring, and life coaching to inspire the child archetype in all ages. Break that down because that is very cool sounding for lack of a better phrase. Well, you know, I mean, I'm an artist, I'm a producer, and I really find that when children are in a, an environment where their creativity um, is the, the primary medium we're working with, they're so much more able to want to learn and grow and communicate and express themselves. And so I think something we all love about music therapy is that it's really focusing on the healthy aspects as opposed to the pathologies, right? And so, um, you know, being able to create songs and videos, um, it's just immediately unlocks a child's imagination and puts them in a really open state. So I, I don't experience much resistance in my practice, um, but you know, when I do, and of course I do, uh, that's where the, the mentoring comes in and we'll, we'll talk about life. And, you know, I'm pretty humanistic in my approach. So I always, you know, if I'm dealing with a kid that's got self-image issues or bullying issues, I'll talk a little bit about what I went through as a kid, you know, and how some of the most challenging and painful experiences we have can really help shape us and give us the capacity to have a more open heart. And I think kids really understand that in their own way, of course. Yeah, I think in um, maybe one of your videos on your website, you said something to the effect of kids are able to put these very adult experiences or adult concepts into words or something to that effect. And I was thinking, you're, you're so right. Like they, they know, they, they know these things that we as adults ignore or put aside or choose not to give attention to and Mm -hmm. it doesn't fool them Mm -hmm. yeah they have an innate knowing uh they have a lot of wisdom and i i believe that a lot of that wisdom and innate knowing either gets shut down or or gaslit at school and in situations where you know they've got that goal-oriented approach to achieving perceived success and I just think kids have so much to teach as well as learn and so I think I'd love to see our entire education system rebuilt uh, from a more balanced place and realize that the teachers and the parents have just as much to learn from the kids as the kids have to learn from the authority figures in their lives. Yeah well said. So Break down what your process is for creating these awesome uh, artistic pieces with your clients. With the kids? Yeah. You know, I mean, I just feel very lucky because a lot of the time I'll meet a kid and 15 minutes later, we're already recording an amazing improvisation where, you know, I'm like playing a progression and there's a beat going in the headphones and the kids just going forward. And in my mind, I'm just like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. You know, and it's just it's just been 
15 years of, of magic um, in my perspective. And yet it's not really magic. It's just, it's just so wonderful what can happen when there's actual space for the innate magic to happen. And that's all I could say. It sounds like I just spoke in a circle. Um, you know, the process is going to be different depending on the kit that I'm working with. A lot of them really do come in just ready. So as long as I, you know, am making the space, they, they express pretty effortlessly. Sometimes there'll be a little bit of shyness. And so we'll just, I'll just use humor or, you know, relate. I have a puppy as well, you know, and he's <laughs> very, he's sort of like an instant icebreaker. Um, but I'm doing a pretty full range here. I, I mentor parents on creative approaches to working with their kids. I mentor teachers and other mental health professionals as well. Um, I don't know if you found this, but <clears throat> other therapists who are not in the creative arts therapies are very receptive to creative arts therapy principles and modalities. I mean, it really has this way of unlocking emotional safety, let alone creativity in clients um, in ways that are just really more natural, I, you know, not to pit talk therapy up against creative arts therapy because some of my, oh, my phone, some of my favorite sessions uh, with clients can actually just be talk sessions. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, sometimes you just got to talk it out. You know, I mean, I really believe the music can be the therapy and so much can happen in the music and sometimes insight, uh, the integration of insight really requires a dialogue, some reflection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and without the music and the creative process, those conversations are less likely to happen, probably. Maybe. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily ascribe to like a particular constant, but I mean, for sure, music has this way of unlocking that creative, intuitive part of our brains, part of our psyches, our souls. And so, yeah. Yeah. What do you do? What techniques do you use when you get some resistance with a kid? <clears throat> they're 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 not ready to go to a place or explore a topic or, you know, make music at all. Do you get that with your clients? Sure, uh, it's not that common in my practice, but certainly, you know, that doesn't mean it hasn't happened a lot. Something can happen a lot and still be not that common. Mm. But unconditional acceptance, unconditional acceptance of what is and and always making sure that whatever a kid is feeling it's valid even if um you know and this is something I, I really want more parents to understand is just because behavior is unacceptable it doesn't mean that the feelings underneath the behavior are unacceptable so if a child or a, or an adult has some kind of resistance that lets me know that there's some level of not feeling safe and so there's so many different ways like music is always going to help a music therapist feel safe right because that's the language we speak if that's not the where is if that's not the first point the meeting point you got to find it for the client you know so because the, the goal isn't to melt the resistance the goal the objective is to establish a feeling of safety so sometimes a client might need to simply express resistance and that in and of itself is the therapy for that part of the session and that it's okay. I don't want to make a song. That's okay. Usually the kids, I have a lot of recordings where they say, I don't want to make a song. Next thing you know, it's just one of the most 
outstanding improvisations, transpersonal life lessons that go beyond the person's personal history. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I'm thinking of one particular group I have in a school setting. Mm -hmm. um, and most of the students have a one-to-one -one staff with them. And mm -hmm. every time they come into the room, exactly with that same whiny voice, I don't want to make a song. I don't want to sing. I don't want to play instruments, blah, blah, blah. And the staff will immediately get on them with, well, that's what we're doing. And this is music. And you need to do whatever Trisha says and blah, blah, blah. And I'm always, I sit them down and say, okay, why? You don't want to make a song? Why? Like, what do you want to do today? And to to give them that autonomy for a minute, um, yeah, it gets them in it. And suddenly they're singing and writing and playing instruments, and um, they leave the session with a huge smile. Yeah, kids need to feel heard, and they need to feel that they have a choice. They need to feel that there's room for their creativity. You know, you can give a child the most wonderful activity to do, and if it doesn't feel like it's their choice, they're not going to want to do it, even if it's something they can benefit from. Well said. <laughs> That's a bumper sticker right there. <laughs> awesome. So you recently won a Grammy. I did? That's what? amazing. It is amazing. What was wow. that experience like? It was overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I had resistance to even going to L.A. I knew that it was going to blow me out, and it did. Um, I ended up going for a massage uh, by the time... Ariana Grande was on strutting her stuff. Um, yeah, it was a lot of energy. I'm, I'm one of those introverted extroverts where, you know, I know how to perform. I know how to be a ham. Uh, I love sharing. I love speaking and singing and performing, uh, but, you know, in small doses. And that, that is just a really long, it's a long day. Mm. <laughs> and so, you know, lots of gratitude and appreciation. But, um, yeah, I just, I couldn't last the whole day. And I've, you know, I've learned uh, from doing what I do as long as I've been doing it that, uh, you know, self-care isn't even a choice. You know, it's, uh, it's not a luxury. It's a necessity. And so, yeah, it was, it was a wonderful experience. And also, I didn't even have the full experience. You know, I didn't, I didn't have the constitution. When all those bright lights and was flashing and all of it and the sound in there, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I become my own client. And then I say to myself, all right, well, what do I need right now? And what I needed was to go to Macy's and get a sweatshirt and then go to a massage place and get rubbed down and sob on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Happy tears, I hope. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about the album. The, you uh, you know, I was just talking to one of my, uh, my colleagues, my friend. She's a psychiatrist in the area. And she said, dude, your album is so prophetic <laughs> because, you know, the album cover is the penguin and the polar bear standing on the moon uh, in front of the planet, which is encased in a bubble, you know, and so that that isolation, you know, it's like it's it's almost like a fun way of depicting quarantine is just having <laughs> the earth in a bubble. And, you know, we have all of these paradoxical unfoldments in life in that sometimes when we have problems with something they need to become exaggerated in order to become conscious of them there was already so much isolation and so much loneliness and so much fear before the coronavirus hit isn't it interesting how in a crisis it's usually a crisis that brings people to a point and governments to a point where they do the right thing so now they've unlocked 50 billion dollars to help people in need and 
let's be honest, there were more than enough serious problems before this that required $50 billion plus so many millions of kids that don't have school lunch or school and even the ones that have access to school what's the quality of the school and is it nourishing them or is it adding more stress and so i think this is a it's an opportunity it's a bit of a reboot you know um a lot of systems are being closed down that weren't really operating impeccably to begin with um, of course, we want to get back to a state of normalcy as soon as possible. And at the same time, there's a lot of opportunity here to go inwards and reflect and, you know, get back to some basics. You know, people are so rat racy with everything that they're doing. A lot of their primary relationships uh, aren't nurtured. And so I think a lot of people might even be struggling just by being in close quarters with their families and with you know, people in their lives and to really look at those dynamics because whether we're conscious of it or not, those dynamics are always rippling outwards into all the other relationships that we have. Yeah. Boy, do I hope that made some kind of sense. It did. Uh, you're going to have some really good content to work through with your clients in the coming weeks, right? Sure. So do you think intuitively you knew when you were creating the album cover that the world needed to be wrapped in bubble wrap? <laughs> well, I mean... You know, look at my opener predicament. This world is a little bit broken, right? Mm. So did I did I predict this? No. But am I that shocked that something like this would unfold? No. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I wouldn't have predicted that this is what it was, but um, not, not super surprised that things are going haywire. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So what is, I don't want to say pick your favorite song on the album, but if you could, for anyone who hasn't heard the songs, could you kind of explain what they're about, how you synthesized them, all that kind of stuff? Sure. So um, this, to sum up the album in one word, I would say duality. And, you know, duality is a very confusing concept um, because... You know, a lot of things can be true, even if they're polar opposites, right? So it's true, I have my perspective, and it's true somebody else has their perspective, and they can be completely conflicting perspectives, but they both exist. And so, you know, the, the primary mission of the album is to present, to express a lot of the challenges that we face, but do it in a playful, hopeful way. Um, so, you know, the opener predicament, you know, really is pretty literal. Well, I wouldn't say literal when it says the world is broken, but um, it's pretty honest about the fact that we're facing some pretty serious stuff um, and that we still have a lot of choice around how, <clears throat> how we manage ourselves, how we interact with one another, how we utilize what we do have to work with. And I think a lot of people tend to ignore what is in the scope of their own um, choice uh, because they're feeling overwhelmed and overloaded by the things that are actually outside the scope of their control. Um, sorry, I, I tend to get a little bit uh, brain farty when I'm talking about my album because it's a rabbit hole, you know, gotcha. there, there's so many, <clears throat> there's so many different ways of talking about it. So happy to talk about any individual songs that you want to bring up. Go for it. I always trust that whatever the listeners need to hear is what the guest is going to say. So whatever mm -hmm. comes to you, 
So yeah, yeah. break down break down some of the songs for us. Tell us where they okay. came from. So there's anxiety. Um, that one is actually co-written by one of the kids that I work with um, named Aiden. Uh, the ending, the whole outro of the song, um, it's this vamp, I can get through this, I can get through this with all my might, I know I can do this. That came right out of an improv with a kid. And I could probably even cut you a, a little excerpt from that original live improv where we were just harmonizing with each other and vamping on it. And it took me a couple of years to figure out what I was going to do with it. Um, but I do think that the anxiety song is important because most people suffer with anxiety, regardless of whether or not they have any kind of diagnosis. And sometimes it's more important to acknowledge a feeling than it is to fix the feeling or change the feeling. And I think something people really struggle with is in their anxiety, they tend to feel very alone. And the more alone we feel, the more we spiral. And so, you know, my main intention for that song wasn't to say, here's a remedy for anxiety, but here's something a lot of us go through in the privacy of our own pain. And I'm hoping to use that song as a way to say, well, yeah, I, can you relate to this? You know, there's a little tag in there. Can you relate to this? And so sometimes just by acknowledging something, it creates a sense of relief. We're like, oh, that's a thing, right? I'm not the only one that wants to crawl into a hole, run away, hide, can't get control of my breathing, you know, don't feel comfortable in my body. I get weird when I'm anxious, you know, and like some people even mistake narcissism for anxiety or anxiety for narcissism because when somebody is really internally preoccupied with how unsafe they feel and how scared they feel they can actually come off as narcissistic to somebody who isn't empathizing with what they might be feeling right we're very quick to judge each other for being narcissistic without really understanding what's truly going on inside somebody yeah, we're quick to judge just in general as creatures. Yeah. Awesome. Do you want to break down another song for us? Uh, do you want to call out another song and I'll break it down for you? No, I want to hear I want to hear yours. Honestly, I Well, so so Video Game, I believe is track 3. That's one of my favorites by far. Uh it was basically a, an improvised song by Claire and I wrote the video game chorus a couple of years after that but that song took about seven years to conceptualize wow. so start stop I mean the whole performance that Claire did in that song was one take of improvisation that was post-produced so um, it's also some of the darkest lyrics on the album and in a way sums up the album you know it's all about she says where's the middle you know so we start and we stop you know, but what about the fabric in between, you know, and it just sort of calls out all of the, the monotony and the repetition. And, you know, are we are we are we living by um, by what's meaningful or or just to get to the next level? Mm. Yeah. Well said. There's a podcast I listen to frequently. And in the rapid fire questions, the host always asks uh, when did you first feel successful and what is your definition of success? And uh -huh. every time I hear it, I, I either come up with a different answer or I think to myself, I don't know, because we're so programmed for yeah. what, quote, success is. Yeah. Do you want to answer that question? So are you question? asking me? Or? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Ask that or answer that question. You know, when did, when did I first feel successful? Yeah. I think it was that first recording that I made 
with this kid in NYU. You know, I was a terrible student at NYU, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I damn near got kicked out. Oh, I had to have a meeting with um, my supervisor and Benedicta. And, and it was a certain point where Benedicta said to me, I think you are very talented, but a little bit grandiose. <laughs> and, you know, six years later or so, she's, you are the best music therapist for children. I, your work is amazing. Everyone should know. I'm like, Benedicta, are you still trying to help me through grandiosity? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the reason that she could go from like such an extreme, you know, I was such a rebel at NYU, you know, I don't follow rules well. I, I really like to, I'm like a kid, I'm, I make up my own rules, but fortunately I'm also aware of how I might be impacting others. And so once I really understood the gift of being able to be still and really hold space for kids to express themselves authentically, that's when I really felt successful, when I knew that I could turn off my own needs and use my talent to help unlock talent in somebody else. And so from that first recording, you know, I, I ended up playing it for Barbara Hesser in her office. It was our first meeting since maybe me getting kicked out. And, and I'm playing her this recording and she's just in tears. Aww. And I, I, I went to like turn off the CD player and she's like, no, 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 don't turn it off. And that, that's when I knew that like some, something about the work was really working. And so that, that just made me feel successful in that, you know, if you can bring a music therapy uh, professor and head of NYU to tears because of the work that you're drawing out of a client, you know, who's in a hospital whose mom is dying and who is losing people left and right. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's definitely a success. It depends on what your definition of success is, you know, I mean, from a financial standpoint, that's a totally different ballgame. But I really look at it from a spiritual perspective. Am I adding value to somebody's life? Yeah, I like that a lot. So now that um, you have the Grammy, there was all this media coverage, there's stuff all over Facebook and Instagram, and it's going around. What is your big overarching hope and dream for who the album touches changes it makes who who gets the album um somehow and how they're going to use it what do you want to see well i definitely would love to see the album help catalyze creativity in as many people as possible you know um i i like i just got a message from a extended family in South Africa where the kid wants to use um, the song and like make up dance moves and, you know, just like turn it into their own thing. Right. Um, you know, my, some, there are, I have a few pipe dreams myself. One is to create a creative arts therapy healing center here in Brooklyn. Um, that also sort of serves as a new blueprint for an education system. That's more based on creativity and healing and wellness. Um, that's that's about as far as i can go i mean i i really yeah sorry i'm blanking on you don't have to be sorry that's a that's a big dream to conceptualize yeah that's awesome you know okay so here's here's what i would like to do part of what i would like to do is create a curriculum my archive is pretty vast i have all of these songs and video of of kids improvising and i'd like to create a training program um, 
that different it's got different tiers so one would be for for music therapists specifically to help branch out because I don't believe that our skill set is limited to just addressing clinical goals and objectives, even though those are super important. I really believe that creative arts therapy can help address life goals, mainstream goals around wellness and self-awareness, personal growth, integrational goals. Um, and I think that we need to see more of that in schools and it just needs kids need more access. Kids need more access to resources where they can really freely express themselves and process what's going on for them. You know, the, I'm sure you've heard this in music therapy, but the opposite of depression is expression, right? And so there's just so much that gets unreleased, you know, the same way that we have a physical digestive system. We eat food, we take what we need and release the rest, we have an emotional digestive system and the system is not really set up for children and adults really to, to release all of the extra emotion and energetic data that they take in from life. Yeah. Um, do you, do you know about Ayurveda? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're nodding sure. your head. Yeah. Well, so that, that made me think of how in Ayurveda, they talk about the digestion of emotions and all that kind of stuff too. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, I know my, uh, my doshas, you know, and the different constitutions with, uh, you know, Vata, Pitta and Kapha. Are you a Kapha? I'm not, I'm oh, really? very much not. No, I'm, I'm more, uh, I was much more Vata, you know, when I was in my twenties. Yeah, I could see that. Um, like very, <laughs> just like match, like shh and then I'm burnt out. Um, but I, I've become more pitta, I'd say, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty grounded and pretty like, oh, let's work, let's, let's do it. You know, I, yeah, kapha, I, I think maybe on a Sunday. <laughs> but, but today yeah, is Sunday. Well, yeah, I'm, I am finding myself to be a little bit slower than usual. Maybe that's a good thing. Grounded. Yeah, that's lower isn't worse. It isn't a bad word either. But yeah, no, no. I could see that. So um, from a logistical standpoint, how do you go about getting confirmation? And uh, I'm, what's the word I'm thinking of? How, how can you record video and audio of your clients and put it out into the world? What do, forms do you have? How do you... Oh, well, that's, like, that, that's not a random thing, you know, I mean, yeah. I like full permission from the parents and the kids, mm -hmm. you know, and generally they're, they're really happy to share. I mean, I, the vast majority of my work is private, um, but I don't necessarily think it's going to stay that way. I think the parents and kids really understand that their songs at the end of the day, aren't just for their own process, you know, so a tagline that I'm working on is a bridge between private practice and public service. Mm. You know, if you have a kid that comes in here and makes a gorgeous song about vulnerability and loneliness and how hard it is to make friends. And then they give permission to share that song. And then other kids who are struggling with those issues hear that. And they're like, wow, I didn't know that it was even okay to say these things. And next thing you know, they want to make their own song and, because they felt safe by hearing their, that song, they've now made a song that's even deeper. And then it just creates this domino effect where everyone feels safe expressing themselves uniquely. Yeah. So for someone who also wants to be able to bridge that, um, do you have you like created your own forms and that kind of stuff? 
for um, parents to sign to get permission or like a very yeah practical... I mean for, for me the, the communication needs to be really clear you know I don't really deal with laborious generic um, forms because they just you know basically it's do I have your consent to share this via email? Mm -hmm. Yes, you do. Absolutely. We're so happy with the work. You know, do awesome. I have a letterhead from a legal firm? Like, no, you know, so that's, you know, will, will I potentially get that in the future? Yes. You know, but um, for me, it's not like, you know, well, maybe this one can, can get just like sneak through, you know, there's, there's no way around it. I mean, it has to be a very overt, consensual choice on the part of the parents and the kid yeah um I know there's there's a lot of conversation about <clears throat> about that so that's why I wanted to ask because it is so important that this stuff be shared and for people to connect through it and for um you know kids who don't have these opportunities to see what you're doing but there, there's a lot of conversation about um HIPAA and just making sure we're doing what we need to do and I know a lot of times even when I send an email with documents I'm like I you know am I doing everything the best I can so it's it's uh, reassuring to know how you're doing it and that that model yeah, well, is possible I think common sense is very important I mean <laughs> I realized that rules and regulations also were behind systemic you know segregation racism slavery you know <clears throat> so you gotta yeah you know, for example I, I don't know if, it, if it's still going to be on, but I have to defend myself via phone tomorrow because I went to Prospect Park um, and had my dog off leash during non-leash, during on-leash hours. And part of why I do that is because he weighs nine and a half pounds and he can't get enough of playing with big dogs. So I know that if I take him to Prospect Park during the allocated times, he's going to get trampled by large dogs, which has happened. So generally I just put him on my back we have a puppy backpack and we go to Prospect Park when no one is there everyone else is at work and so I was there a couple days after I got back from the Grammys the park was absolutely empty and the park police came and gave me a ticket because he was off leash and you know when I have my conversation with them it's like did I break a rule yes um is that rule in keeping with common sense no you know, it'd be one thing if the rule was no puppies here under any circumstances, that's a different thing. But, you know, I would advocate we should have uh, a special time where uh, small dogs can be at, you know, off-leash Prospect Park, where they're not in danger of getting hurt by bigger dogs. And so, you know, you see my point there, right? So, yeah. like, yes, it's important to know what the rules are and make sure you're not doing anything irresponsible. But there's definitely a line where... Uh, you know, a victimless crime, if you will, you know, it, it, common sense needs to be a factor. And we've had many situations in history where we've had rules, we've had laws, and they've also been devoid of either morality, common sense, or just rationality. Yeah. Getting into the heavy stuff. This is what probably what you do all day, every day, right? Sure. <laughs> So uh, where can people, the listeners, find everything you're doing? And is there any way they can be supportive um, of either you know, the projects you have going on or spreading the message or getting involved, anything like that? Sure. I mean, you know, we've got my my music is on all the usual platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud. Uh, it's it's 
it's in a lot of places for free. You know, um, something I'm very grateful for is that I've never relied on income from CD sales or digital sales, you know, as a way of sustaining. It's really been my private practice. Um, on that note, I just do want to add, um, I feel like a lot of artists who aren't music therapists or creative arts therapists could also be doing a lot of important work by using their creativity and talent to unlock that in others, even if they don't necessarily have a creative arts therapy degree, as long as they don't call it creative arts therapy. But um, that's another tier of my training program that I would like to develop in that, you know, not all of them have the flexibility to take out loans or, or pay for a master's degree, but would like to adhere to some kind of a therapeutic protocol, right? A lot of artists that, <clears throat> so the reason I'm mentioning this is because they're all disgruntled because they don't get enough money from Spotify and Pandora and all those different, you know, ways that, you know, streaming can provide passive income. And I don't think it's realistic for every artist to study uh, creative arts therapy, though I think that would be wonderful for them too. And so I'd actually like to see creative arts therapy more stratified, right? So, you know, at the top, from a clinical perspective, you're dealing with your fully credentialed, your license, you're working on clinical goals and objectives. But I also believe on the other end of the spectrum, therapeutic uh, songwriting or therapeutic lessons where it's very clear you're not necessarily working with a therapist, but there's certain um, there's certain goals around unlocking creativity and creating a, you know, for lack of better term, therapeutic relationship, I think is still possible. I know that there's a lot of contention in the field of music therapy with um, music therapists being overly protective of utilizing the, the term music therapy, but I really think that there's a way to language things in such a way that more artists are really utilizing their talent more for public service and helping other people without misrep misrepresenting the field. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I'm really excited to see what this course becomes uh, because it'll be a phenomenal resource. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it'll be a minute. Yeah. Well, if one of those songs you've been working on for seven years, uh, you're, I'm, you're very thorough in what you're putting out. But regardless, it'll come at the right time. And uh, it will help so many people, so many people, so they can help so many other people. Yes. Awesome. Do you have anything you want to add before we move into the rapid fire questions? Well, it's really about the, for me, it's about the education system, right? So I can obviously serve my clients. Um, that's going really well, but I'm really thinking about how just some of these these principles and ideas can be implemented in a more mainstream way. And so that's that's just my hope is that uh, parents and teachers and just the systems in general around education become more focused on how to utilize the creativity that kids have instead of putting them into situations where they're basically setting up set up for failure. Hmm. Big systematic change is coming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for the first rapid fire question? Let's do it. All right. These are short, but your answers don't have to be. Okay. Coffee or tea? Tea. Early bird or night owl? Both. Ah, you're just one of those people who never sleeps. I sleep, but, uh, you know. <laughs> just not a lot. <laughs> um, something you would tell your younger self. 
get still, mm. get centered, learn what balance is. You can have the things you want if the things you want can lead to balance and be useful to others. Mm. Good one. Your music therapy elevator speech. <laughs> Music therapy is, music therapy helps unlock the creativity, expression, self-esteem, and self-awareness in others. I like that. Your favorite self-care practice? Yoga. Do you have a specific branch you like? Oh, I, I do my own thing. <laughs> Good for you. Intuitive yoga. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something that's currently adding value to your life. Bum broth. Ah, why is that? It's just a really efficient way of getting a lot of nutrients and minerals and not giving the body a lot of busy work. It takes a lot of energy to digest food. And a lot of the food that's out there is, is creating more work for the body than it is nourishment. Mm. Your favorite intervention or song to use in a session. So I know that's kind of loaded for what you do. So spin it however you'd like. Humor, improvisation, uh, depending on the age of the kid. I find cursing to be very helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, there's certain kids that are like seven, eight, nine years old. And, you know, just by using the word bullshit or shit helps them to feel respected because they hear it all the time at home. And for them to understand that they're not dealing with, you know, one of those generic authority figures that expects them to color inside the lines all the time. And ironically, once kids know that they can curse here, they either just don't because they know that they have more creative, interesting things to say and or they'll just use it appropriately in a song to really express themselves. So it's out of their system. Mm. Beautiful. What a beautiful uncharted avenue <laughs> for most people. And lastly, where can listeners find you and connect with you? So there's cocreativemusic.com is my website. Um, on Instagram, it's John Sampson. On uh, Facebook, it's John Sampson Co-Creative Music. And my personal page is public as well at this point. You know, it's really either just anecdotes or clips of my puppy or new music that I'm working on. Yeah. Awesome. I will link all of that in the show notes, as well as the other resources and things you mentioned so that the listeners can find them easily. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're very welcome. Awesome. So enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thanks so much. so much for tuning into this episode of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. I hope you learned a lot and are feeling inspired to do some maybe recording or video production of songs with your clients. I know recording is something that's really new for me using it clinically and this just learning about John's process and how he is able to facilitate 
these experiences with his clients is really inspiring and eye-opening and I look forward to trying out some of these techniques myself in my practice. If you are enjoying the podcast, please let us know by leaving us a review on iTunes or on Facebook. You can also join our group on Facebook, which you may want to do because we are preparing for a 50th episode celebration and there is a poll in the Facebook group for what you want to see for that 50th episode. So please check that out. Currently in the lead is a listener feature where um, you, the listeners, will send in stories, inspiration, advice, whatever you want, and I will compile them all together into one awesome episode. So the voting is still open until April 15th, so that should be a week from the day this episode comes out. So definitely check out that poll, put your vote in. Again, that's on our Facebook group which is just Music Therapy Chronicles group. You can also find us online and on any social media platform at Music Therapy Chronicles. And finally, if you or someone you know wants to be on the podcast, or if there's someone you want me to reach out to to have on the podcast, please send an email to feedback at musictherapychronicles.com. Thank you again so much for tuning in, and I'll see you in the next one. Mm -hmm.